Welcome to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Paul Tordot. We all dream of a long life of adventure. My guest has been at it for around 80 years and is not stopping yet. Sepp Weber started and owned Denali View Chalet, a popular Nordic ski destination. He also has a long history of climbing and kayaking, including the first ski ascent of Denali with a broken ski and Mount Logan. Stay tuned as Sepp shares his stories and experiences. Welcome to Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Paul Twardock, and today we have Sepp Weber as our guest. Welcome to the show, Sepp. I'm glad to meet you again, and uh, I will uh, do as you say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Sepp, we're really happy to uh, have you here. Um, you're a little bit of a legend in the outdoors in Alaska. Uh, tell us a, a bit about how you uh, got into the outdoors as a youth. You're from um, Austria originally, correct? Yeah, well, this goes uh, a long way back uh, because I grew up with my grandmother in Bavarian Alps. There was no mail around, so I was uh, pretty free uh, to do my thing even at very, very early age. So as soon as I could uh, walk and find my way around, I was uh, free to roam the countryside. and. Uh, this is probably what got me into love of nature from the very, very beginning. And it's not as a sport, but it actually was more or less a way of life or survival for me. And uh, so after the 10 years in uh, Bavaria, my mother moved to Austria to meet a gentleman there. And uh, I came with her and ended up the next 20 years in Austria, which uh, again went to school there, uh, to high school, but the second part of the high school was a technical high school where you learned uh, engineering. And if you worked five years as an engineer, you could actually have the title engineer but I never got to it because I was too much into the out of doors because I also was introduced into skiing as a little kid in order to go to school. We had to ski on, in the winter. And so uh, this was also part of my life. And uh, once we were in uh, Austria, I had another circle of friends which were also basically had the same interest in the out of doors. And so at the beginning, most of our touring was either on skis or walking, but uh, it not uh, driving or if you wanted to go someplace, we had to move our legs to move to get there. And, uh, and then once the restrictions of the war finally faded away and we could afford to start traveling, I started uh, expanding. The first trip was to uh, Lapland in uh, 1958, uh, yeah, in 58, 
we uh, climbed the highest mountains in northern in Sweden, Kapnikes and uh, Cher uh, Cherkjako. And uh, then a year later, we went to uh, an expedition to uh, East Greenland, which at that time was still closed to tourists. And we uh, camped several of the mountains on the east coast and north of Ankh-Masalik. And later on, we uh, used Kepa boats, folding boats, which uh, at that time the Kepa company actually supplied for us. And we uh, traveled the coast from uh, Standing Alps down to Ankh-Masalik. And uh, one thing what really impressed or still impresses me, I met an older woman through an interpreter, Fratin, who still remembers when she saw the first white person. Uh -huh. And up to that point, this little village south of Ankh-Masalik, they believed they are the real people. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they're still, but I, I met one of them who really was it. <laughs> she was in her right. 70s or so, but a present, a present, I asked her, you know, I mean, how she, the tough life, and they were subsistence living, you know, they're, they're, there was no welfare at that time, you know, yeah. except they had one idea where the Danes hired locals, gave them a boat, and they hunted walrus, and then gave the meat to the old people so they could survive the winter on meat uh, if they couldn't fish ah, or so, anyway. so how anyway. did you how did you um get your equipment we talked a little earlier about how you got your first clepper post-war well, yeah. i thought that was really interesting well <laughs> and uh not having any uh, we were at that time the people in austria and germany probably too were very very financially poor, you know, but the money wasn't worth anything. So everything had to be found somehow or another. And unfortunately, with the uh, death toll of a lot of men in the war, the women who had uh, survived as widows, they uh, had stuff from their husbands, uh, climbing gear, uh, boats, uh, skis, or even just clothing. And uh, even uh, boots, we couldn't buy any boots. We had to find whatever we could use that uh, managed. Yeah. Somehow or another. We didn't go barefoot. <laughs> and you had, you, you said, told me you had to share boots with your friends. You found a boot that fit two of you and you would swap exactly. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the selection was, of course, not very, uh, uh, very easy to make. and. Uh, we found one uh, lady who had a pair of ski boots, uh, actually ski boots, older ski boots, and, uh, but my friend had a school size uh, uh, 14 or 13, and I had seven. And so we got one pair, and uh, every uh, weekend we switched. One time I go skiing, and then uh, he, he goes skiing on a Saturday or a Sunday, and mm -hmm. then uh, I had to stuff the boot with a half of it with uh, newspapers just to get not slide around inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But we were ski touring, you know, yeah. there was at that time, what there were some cable cars, but basically this was so expensive we couldn't really afford that, you know. Yeah. 
and and your but your main interest was in climbing. At that time, uh, from the time I was 15, uh, first there is uh, the hometown in Austria. It was Graz, which is the second largest city in Austria, and we had uh, on the edge of town uh, some cliffs where we, after school and later on after work, in the evening we would congregate and uh, train climbing, and on the weekends we would go out into the uh, Dolomites or whatever, uh, Steinalp and all, in, into the Alps and rock climbing. Uh, so we were not just mountaineers, but we were strictly extreme rock climbers, which uh, after 10, 12 years, apparently, uh, I found uh, the interest has to be a little more than just always going on the same, doing the same thing, you know. Yeah. And that's when we uh, started out uh, uh, going to, f after hearing or reading some really interesting stories, to Canada to make a long trip from southern Alberta all the way to the to the Arctic and we paddled that one summer we paddled 4,500 kilometers. Oh in, that's fascinating so that was in a clapper? In, in, in a clapper. Each one of us had his old clapper. Yeah and uh, and so where did you uh, start from? You started in Alberta so you were on the McKinsey River or? No well this is where we ended up yeah. But we didn't go down the Kensington. Mackenzie uh, River is a huge, it's almost like a, a moving lake. Yeah. That was too boring. <laughs> so we actually tra traversed from Slave Lake to Bear Lake, which is 500 miles. And we had, uh, I think we had 200 portages to make. Oh, wow. And to, uh, there was uh, air, only a map, actually, the map had said certain areas. Not uh, not mapped yet, uh, <laughs> but uh, basically every flowing river will move into the Pacific, so we couldn't go wrong really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, at some point you had to cross the continental divide, though. You had to get across over. The well, that's actually a plateau. Okay. Yeah. You know the the Slave Lake and and Bear Lake. They are huge lakes. In, uh, in the Canadian uh, in the territory, in the West yeah. Northwest Territory, and uh, we we knew we any river would end up going west. In uh, further uh, at the beginning, we could have also turned the other way and we gone to the Atlantic. Yeah, but uh, to us, uh, and this is. Uh, uh, part of it is granite background, so uh, and then others is uh, pretty swampy. A lot, a lot of lakes, hundreds of lakes, hundreds of lakes. You know. Yeah. But uh, time was of no essence. We took the whole season. Yeah. You know, I was at that time already teaching skiing, so I had the summer free, and yeah. for twelve years at, in the summers I made all these exploratory trips, which they have been done before by natives and other people, but there has no re uh, n there were no records. You yeah. know, you had to find it yourself. And uh, But like I said, 
all the water runs into the ocean, so we couldn't, we could only go to the ocean. So ocean. do you go to end up on the Yukon then, on that trip? Uh, uh, right. And then you thought that, did you go all the way to Monarch, down to the mountain? But, the, but mountain? The, the Yukon, we uh, really, uh, we only go pathways, you know, we, we like, uh, we come down the, at, uh, in Canada, uh, it got into the headwaters of the Yukon, but then uh, move from uh, the river, move to Great Bear, uh, Great Slave Lake, and then traverse the, at, at that time it was still frozen, we had to wait a couple of days till we could actually go. And then uh, later on, uh, once we are on the way, uh, we had to, uh, decide which way to go and so on and so on, but uh, basically uh, as long as you are on, on the river, you always had a way of out, yeah. you know, somehow. That, that's great. Uh, this is uh, Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. I'm Paul Tordak, your host. We're sitting here with uh, Sepp Weber, um, who has um, been in Alaska a long time and is a, a ski instructor, lodge owner, a guide um, has done just about everything. Sep, uh, so um, talk about how you uh, uh, ended up coming to Alaska. Well, originally I had planned, or we had planned actually with a friend of mine. What to start with, uh, most, we all had to work in order to survive. You know, we were not financed by anybody or we didn't get, uh, we didn't, we were, at that time, nobody had any money because the money was worthless. So we had to uh, work. But then we decided uh, to uh, expand our, uh, where we wanted to go. And uh, Alaska was not really, at, at that time, in my, uh, it was a site aside from the, what we wanted to do in Canada. So I had to go to Canada. When I was in Canada, I got a call from a friend I had known in Bavaria 20 years before. And uh, he said he had a ski school in Anchorage. And this was the Hans Smith Ski School, which originally was Gary King. They had two ski schools. And uh, this is at Alaska. Uh, well, at that time it was actually Arctic Valley, oh, Valley. Okay. and uh, Elmendorf and uh, Fort Richardson. They had little okay. slopes everywhere, you yeah, know, yeah. and uh, rope toes, you know, yeah. nothing fancy. And uh, so I was in Canada in the winter, and uh, in order about the first year. So I applied for a visa, no problem, and uh, came to Alang uh, Anchorage. Well, unfortunately, there was no snow in this year, so I worked at the PX at the military <laughs> just to make a balance eat. Then the next year, we went on that long 5,000 to 4,800 kilometer kayak trip from southern Alberta in Canada all the way up uh, partially on the, uh, on the Yukon and uh, wherever we uh, could find flowing water all the way to Inuvik, which is on uh, the Arctic, 
-huh. And from there, we traversed across the mountains to the uh, to uh, the Yukon, and ended up at Fort Yukon. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and this was uh, the first trip, and I had planned to go back to Alaska. I liked it the city was only forty thousand people, so you knew everybody. That's even today when I uh, sometimes hike someplace. Somebody says, "Don't you remember sixty years ago? You taught me how to ski." You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. This, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. So, um, and then, so then, eventually, you came back and worked at Alaska or at the ski and school. And I got the uh, the second year didn't really work out too well. But Gary King, who had also not just a ski school, but he had a ski shop, and he was also the top skier in Alaska at that time. So I became we became friends, and he I worked for him. And uh, I was running his ski school in Alaska, but he still had the part uh, taught a little. But his he, his idea was selling his equipment. He wasn't in interested in skiing, uh -huh. uh, such, uh -huh. but he wanted to sell the equipment, and uh, that's why he had all this. Like uh, the uh, West High had a little slope, and uh -huh. uh, I think even uh, the skiing today uh, in town. Anyway. And uh, so I had to, uh, I took his ski school in Alaska. And then Alaska started, got bought actually by a Frenchman. And uh, they uh, built a hotel and they decided in order to have the guests at uh, full service, they wanted their own ski school in Alaska. And that's when I took the ski school in Alaska. Okay. And had it till ninety, early nineties, oh. and uh, which gave me still time on the summers to go out and explore now with clapper boats. And very later, then uh, I switched to uh, uh, rafting, with, as guiding, with guided tours, because the. Uh, I, at that time, I didn't quite realize that by having people, I had 10 or 12 kayaks built myself. And uh, they, uh, but you cannot control somebody in a kayak if you are not on a boat, too. Yeah. And this was almost, almost, almost a disaster. So I switched to uh, rafts where you are in control of what you are. You know, because these people take a trip because they want to be shown something, but they are not capable of usually, uh, they, they might know a little paddle, but basically no. Yeah. Did you have any, you talked about, was there a particular event that made you switch? A, the particular disaster, almost disaster? That no. Just a, a bunch of different small no, things? Well, I, I think we had one person, he broke a leg. In camp, oh, yeah. and uh, we usually there's uh, among the guests there usually is a doctor. We put him on, and we still had to go a week on the on the kayak trip. Yeah. He, he could uh, he he just sat in a kayak with his uh, stiff leg. You know? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, we had no trouble. At all. No, 
Yeah. Well, that's that's why you you should know what you're doing. You know, it's unfortunately I see it. I've seen it quite. A, you know, people they like it, they do it, they tone a little bit, but they're really not. They didn't grow up in it. You know, I think that it showed. You know. Yeah. Oh, so what kind of um, experiences or what kind of uh, training should people get? before they do these kind of wilderness trips, in your mind? Uh, actually, some of them are good hikers. Uh, most of them are good hikers. Yeah. Uh, outdoor people. You know, they on the weekends in Austria or Germany or France or wherever they are, they are, but they, the surrounding is new and they are not used to uh, uh, think for themselves. They somehow or another always predetermined what they are, they know exactly what they are going to do because that's what they're familiar with. So Alaska to them is a, a real experience because you can be days and days and not actually see another person out in the wilderness somewhere. Yeah. And uh, But uh, you have to do all your thinking for them, basically. That's, it's not uh, very seldom do you have some. Sometimes we get people, they come, go on a trip, learn how to do it, and then the next year they come on their own and do their own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be all think for yourself and, uh, and, and take care of yourself. And so they have super to, important. They have, yeah. I want to go back to one thing you mentioned uh, about uh, early skiing in Anchorage. You said there was a ski hill west high. There was, yeah, there's, uh, there's uh, right uh, first high, uh, you can actually, uh, what's uh, below that, uh, the flats. The, the, the Westchester Lagoon down there? Right. Yeah. There's, there's a slope, there's a, there was a ski slope with, with a rope tow. Oh, huh. a little rope tow. Huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, were, huh, what, what other ski areas were in Anchorage? Well, like the Russian Jack Springs. Russian Jack had one, yeah. And uh, Elmendorf Air Force Base. Yeah. And uh, Fort Richardson, a tire slope. Yeah. And... Uh, this is what actually got me here through Hans, because he had all these little areas, but he was the only instructor. He <laughs> could only be at one place at the same time, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and then, and then Jim Happy had one here at APU, too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a ski jump and everything at one point. Um, when you, um, so you ended up here in Alaska, uh, and what year was that that you started? I started, I started in uh, Alaska itself. I started in uh, uh, sixty. Nineteen sixty. Yeah, nineteen sixty. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, you were instructing skiing, and you also, uh, I think you told me you were involved in more of the management at the resort at one point at Alaska. Well, uh, in order to make money in ski instruction, it has to be a, a organized ski area. Yeah. So it was either Arctic Valley or uh, Alaska. Yeah. Uh, Alaska uh, was only open sometimes on the weekends at the beginning. Uh -huh. They weren't open all the time. So this is when we then uh, made uh, uh, ski. We actually skied all the mountains here in the Chugach Mountains. Yeah. But uh, we had the time. Yeah, yeah, so the time during the week. Yeah, but uh, there was no, uh, uh, it took a long time to uh, 
create skiers. Ah, the uh-huh. very, the very that at the very beginning, doctors, lawyers, uh, uh, I've known just about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> if they skied, right, you know, yeah. all the skiers, they still know. Uh, it, uh, and they enjoy it. It's a good sport, you know. It's, yeah. it's uh, uh, in the where we have a long winter. What else would you do yeah, except right. ski? You know. <laughs> And you were still climbing and mountaineering, that right? And yeah. my climbing then was whenever I went back to Europe. Okay. And uh, did rock climbing there. But skiing, and the first I remember at, uh, at uh, West High, you could see Denali. Yeah. And uh-huh. this is when it struck me, that looks like a good mountain to ski. Ah, <laughs> so, and uh, this was in '63. Yeah. So we took a train. There was no road to Talkeetna then. We took a train to Talkeetna, skied in from Talkeetna all the way to the top of Denali. Uh-huh. It's about uh, if you figure it all out, about 200 miles back and forth. Skied the mountain, skied back out to. Uh, Talkeetna again and took the train back to Anchorage. Yeah. Huh. So and the, then yeah. uh, this was in '63, and in uh, then we skied uh, Wrangell Mountain, Sanford. Uh, uh, I skied uh, in other countries like uh, Mount Rainier. I skied Ararat in the Turkey, Demavent in Uran. Uh, so we uh, the ski touring big mountains to rather than just climb it if it's not that difficult a mountain it's easier to ski down than walk down uh-huh yeah and uh, that's how uh, then we ended up uh, the last uh, big expedition was on mount logan yeah so we i want to talk more about these expeditions after our break but before the, we got two more minutes before break. What, what can you uh, describe the kind of uh, equipment you were using on these on these mountaineering trips? Well, in the, on river trips, of course, it's a, a boat. Uh, yeah. it, is, it used to be uh, clipper boats and foldable, uh, foldable ones. They end up about seventy-five to eighty pound. So whenever you had to go from one water source to another, you had to portage. Yeah, and sometimes for days, and uh, this will, uh, the, uh, eventually then they came up with another inflatable canoes. They're not quite as good, or let's say, you can do a lot with them, but uh, uh, the skill is different. You're more uh, on luck, floating down something on the, like an inner tube than a kayak. But then eventually they uh, uh, ended up now with the pack rafts, which is even lighter. Yeah. But we, when we portaged, the, late, the lightest plate is at least 70, 75 pounds through yeah. wilderness, you know, through no trail or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah, push whack in and the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Great. Uh, this is Paul Tordak. Uh, this is Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Um, I'm talking with uh, Seth Weber here, who is um, 
uh, has an amazing life uh, to share with us of skiing, climbing, and boating, and eventually we'll talk about his lodge. Um, stay with us, we'll take a short break and be back uh, with more with Seth. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. Outdoor Sport. This is Paul Tordock, your host on uh, Alaska Public Media. I'm here with Sepp Weber. Sepp, uh, before the break, we started talking a little bit about the equipment you were using. What I'm interested in is your Denali climb. So why don't you talk, me, talk us through a little bit about that climb. You said you started skiing from Chalkitna. Yeah. yeah. Well, the whole thing came, if it's a good day in Anchorage, you can see Denali. And of course, being a mountaineer, uh, it, it's in, you want to know how, what, how big the mountain is. So it's, yeah, there, there are books on it that you can actually find out. So uh, when uh, we decided, or I decided actually that I have a, fr- a couple of my uh, fellow instructors for the ski school, they also are mountaineers. So two of them said, yeah, we'll go with you if you want to go to Denali. So, but we didn't want to fly in because uh, this is still an old tradition of uh, us in uh, Europe. You don't fly in Europe, so you want to go someplace you walk to, you know. (laughs) And, uh, but we could take a train once a week to Talkitna, then we, went from Talkeetna uh, across uh, the forelands, uh, Peters Hills, up the Kahiltna Glacier, all the way to the top of Denali. And here we maybe can uh, feel what equipment did we use. I know it's very, very cold in Denali, we knew that. And uh, the equipment at that time, it, it was you would have to kind of change your summer equipment because the skis, the bindings. So we finally broke down and asked um, uh, the head company, the head ski company, they made short skis for us, uh, head, uh, head standards. But we still had to make, we didn't, we knew we didn't want to use ski boots because uh, we, we didn't want to lose our, our toes or our feet for freezing. So we actually just bought army surplus uh, 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 rubber boots. Uh, the bunny boots? The bunny boots. Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah. And uh, they're insulated. You know, yeah. there are two boots with uh, uh, We bought them for, I think our whole expense for the trip to Denali was $200 a person, oh, wow. <laughs> and this included uh, one airdrop when we had some food dropped. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we went very cheap. 
Yeah. And it, uh, then we made our own bindings to attach these bunny boots to our uh, oh. skis. Yeah. And if you see, uh, I actually have a movie, a 16 millimeter movie on, on this, where you ski down. Uh, we skied pretty good, you know, we, we looked like ski instructors <laughs> on these bunny boots. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, the only trouble I had when I mounted the new bindings, I must have over uh, uh, too much heat on it, and the ski actually broke under the under the oh, no. toes. Oh no! So for 120 kilometers, I had to ski on one ski, and use the short piece we remounted the binding as a little, just a little like a snow snowshoe, oh. and I had to go on one ski <laughs> for. And uh, for two uh, months afterwards, I had a sore up uh, a tie. I couldn't oh, tie walk. <laughs> and so you went up. Um, you so said you went up to Kahitna. And the, we went to the Kahitna Glacier, yeah. and uh, all the way to Kah almost to Kahitna Pass, then up to uh, 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 the West West Ridge. West Ridge. And went to the top. Okay. And skied from the very top. Not all of us. Two of us did, yeah. But the other couple of hundred feet, there was the wind, the snow was so bad it was hardly worth it, you know. But yeah, but it's one of the things you have to do. <laughs> Is that was that maybe the first ski descent? Is this that... the first ascent. Oh. The oh. first ascent with ski uh, with, oh. ski, uh, with skis, uh -huh. and we climbed it again in '68, where we also skied up uh, Karl Hitler. But we went the southwest ridge, uh -huh. not the not the, uh, uh, the regular route, and uh, huh. it is a, you can ski it, uh, except maybe a, a really really short piece where we kind of just side slipped yeah, yeah. below yeah. the. And were you <coughs> on this first trip? Were you doing it on a broken ski? Were you skiing? You said you broke a ski. Were you skiing down with your uh, half a ski? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I had to. Go, you yeah. know, I had. To, I might be a little uh, rough, but <laughs> a friend of mine who was married already and had uh, four kids, and his dad told him, "Now, why in the hell do you want to climb that mountain?" when you have four nice kids, you know, <laughs> we go with this crazy weaver. And, uh, but it uh, is uh, the, uh, the challenge, you know, to ski the, at, it, I think it, it, it might have been repeated a couple yeah. of times. Oh, yeah. yeah, people ski it now. Yeah. But they have yeah. way better equipment. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, you buy it now. Yeah, you buy it. We couldn't, yeah. there, there wasn't any. Yeah. You know, and we came off, uh, well, except uh, Helmut, uh, one friend, he, uh, when we got off the top and uh, uh, packed up our camp, he, the wind blew away his his, his mittens, oh. and he froze his feet, his his fingers. Oh. 
Oh, uh, but we didn't lose any. So okay. oh, that's, great. that's that's the only casualty we actually had. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And what time of year was this? That what was month? in uh, April. April, so early. Yeah. 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 So it was probably well, cold out. <laughs> there was another problem. Uh, problem. I had a friend uh, uh, who uh, was also a mountain climber, a woman from Germany, and she lived in Austria. Hel Helga Bading. She was. Uh, her husband worked at one of the stores here, the fur, selling furs, ah. and uh, he's, uh, uh, she wanted to go with us, but uh, unfortunately she got pregnant before that, so oh. she didn't go. Tell, tell us about, so that's a, a Denali, the Denali trip, um, and that was, what, year 60? Six, no, uh, Denali was 62. 62. And then you, but you also uh, went to Logan, right? In Canada. And tell us about that trip. In, uh, well, it's a little, uh, well, basically it's also a big mountain. Not oh, yeah. Almost as high as Denali. Uh, actually more difficult to reach because you have to uh, either, it's almost impossible, or impossible, I wouldn't say that, but it will take you a whole season to just get there. Yeah. So we flew in from Talkit, uh, from uh, uh, Glen Allen okay. to uh, the lower glaciers, and, uh, and this was a group of nine. Oh, it was a big group, group yeah. Yeah. and uh, we had uh, actually we had trouble finding the mountain. It's it's a it's a huge con uh, uh, group of uh, peaks. Yeah. And uh, but uh, it would be an ideal ski mountain if yeah. it would be so difficult to get there and back out again. You know. Were, and were you able to summit on it, or we summited? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Were you able to uh, ski down? Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, that's the idea. Yeah. 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 Huh. Well, that's that's very impressive. What about uh, are any other mountaineering um, uh, trips that stand out in your mind? That, you want, want to share? Well, we did. Well, whatever. Most mountains which look like uh, uh, volcanoes are good ski mountains. Ah, uh -huh. So uh, we went down uh, the Aliush, Aliush one, one uh -huh. time. Uh, skied uh, Mount Lenay in Washington. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And then later on, uh, also, uh, we skied uh, because at one time we went. <coughs> and this was not the Alaska trip, but we went by car from Europe all the way to Afghanistan before the Islamic uh, problems, you know. Yeah. And uh, and on the way back we saw uh, Mount Ararat and Mount oh. Demavent. Oh. So uh, a few years later we came back and we skied uh, Demavent and uh, Ararat. Both of them are volcanic, yeah. so they make a cone, you know. Wow, what a life. Uh, this is a and we also skied Mount Fuji, and <laughs> we paddled. We also paddled uh, along uh, for uh, summer, the Japanese sea, from oh, one yeah. night to the other. Wow. Uh, this is uh, Paul Tordak on uh, Outdoor Explorer um, on Alaska Public Media, and I'm here with Seth Weber talking about his amazing life in Alaska. So on your trip into Denali, you skied 
through the Peters Hills, and you eventually started a lodge in there. You want to talk about that, your, uh, the, the knowledge du chalet, and uh, how that came to be? Well, uh, it's actually some of my uh, friends, and uh, they like Alaska, but they would also like to come back in the winter. Mm -hmm. But they don't like the uh, idea of having to camp in the winter. So by walking into Tadali, I had a fair idea what the country looked like. And uh, at that time, there was a problem in where one legislature tried to tell or tried to pass a law where every Alaskan gets 160 acres of land. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Dr. Bern, I think. Anyway, yeah, I but that didn't go through. But in order to kind of appease the people, they, you could buy uh, five acres, and they. But you had to uh, walk in the country, or the the legislator designated certain areas usually on some waterway or lake or whatever and uh, <clears throat> and then you could stake your five acres well the trouble was nobody walked in they ah. staked them all on the on a map yeah so they dropped that quickly and a few people had staked already but then they went to California or whatever and I bought one of these lots who had been staked and leased from the state. Ah. And then, uh, but you could, uh, after 10 years, it will go back to the state if you didn't do anything with it. Ah. So suddenly, uh, several of them came up and I got one of these lots. I knew where it was, I, according to the map, you know, the, the descriptions. Yeah. And uh, it's the headwaters of the Teshka River. You can actually paddle from if you can get across all the beaver dams, paddle down the Teshka all the way to the, to uh, uh, Cook Inlet. Cook Inlet yeah. wow. uh -huh. Some people have done that, you know. Yeah. They actually have a couple of friends, they camped in Ali, came to my cabin, and then uh, floated out the Teshka uh -huh. all the way uh -huh. to Anchorage. Uh -huh. And that one guy, he came out uh, uh, really tired, across the oak went up what is now what used to be the golf course on uh, yeah. uh, Bad West High and uh, knocked on the door and the guy came out with a gun. He was a uh, Atwood doctor. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh funny. That's old school. So um, then you built a lodge there, right? So uh, and uh, I uh, I Basically, a uh, log cabin is pretty neat, but it's expensive siding in the winter when it's cold. You know, it, so I bought a lot, uh, bought trees, uh, had them cut at a sawmill, and built a log cabin with two sides uh, uh, cut so it will be more tight. Yeah. And it's, uh, it can accommodate 16 people in their own beds, two, four different rooms as a shower and uh, a sauna. And then we built a couple of other cabins because uh, uh, the 
turned out to be a very popular way of getting into the wilderness, not by driving, but by skiing from Petersville Road. The short, the shortest trail in is 14, uh, 14 K, uh, oh, almost yeah. 10 miles. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we set uh, every year up to 100 kilometers of uh, packed ski tra uh, cross-country trails, uh -huh, you know. Uh -huh. uh, mostly classic, but after a while uh, we can widen them for skating nowadays yeah, too. Skating, uh, yeah, skating, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so you operated this lodge. Um, and then we do, yeah. the, we do the cooking, Yeah. And which uh, originally, uh, when I started the whole thing, in Austria, there are 240 or whatever mountain cabins. Uh -huh. They actually, some of them are as big as houses. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we never camp. <laughs> Most of the time, you actually, you're not allowed to yeah. in the wilderness anyway. But they're in the wilderness, they're mountain cabins. And so the idea was to have that, and people do their own cooking and do their own thing. What didn't quite work out, they want to be have to have. So we actually became now a, like a, a, a inn. You have, we feed them too. Oh, feed them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And who were your clients? Did you clients uh, some? Well, there's some locals, but the majority are from Europe. Okay. And meaning French, uh, German, and Austrian. Yeah. And to them, just going to Crota Lake to them is a wilderness trip. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, yeah. this is, yeah. it's, huh. yet you have the comforts and, uh, and f even nowadays with everybody having smartphones, but it's amazing to be together for three days with a group and nobody ever uh, snatches out a smartphone, you know. They oh, will talk. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. You know, and and people are there to ski, I assume, um, and see the sights and see uh, wildlife. And, yeah. Uh, if if it's a clear day, mountain is right there. Yeah. We, nice. I think we are thirty-five miles from the summit of uh, Denali. Oh, nice. Um, and <coughs> did um, and I know there's a lot of snow machining out there. How does that work? Do, do the snow machiners stay away from your ski trails and? The snow machiners and... Now, yeah. uh, at the very beginning, they were pretty poor. Ah. So they didn't really bother us at all. Yeah. But now, uh, well now, they are so good now, they can go any place. Yeah. But also, they have uh, now a system where they make snow machine trails wide, uh, 40 feet wide. Oh, wow. And, uh, but they stay away from, you know, they don't come close to the cabin. Yeah. So we can usually barely hear them. Okay. It, and usually on the weekends, during the week, there's no problem really at all. Yeah. <coughs> but we, they accommodate each other. Yeah. You know, they, uh, in Sweden, they have also snow machines but they have a combination where the skiers meet in the morning with a group of snow machiners and they take the equipment to the next cabin. 
Uh-huh. But they have a to- totally different, they say they don't see each other at all on the way. I see. Very good idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it's very hard here, some people to tell them not to do something. You know, in America, yeah, we don't like to be told what to do. Exactly. <laughs> you don't even wear a mask, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're recording this in the age of COVID. Um, uh, so, um, I want to talk about, so in the, in the winter you had the lodge, uh, in the summer you were a river guide, right? You, you guided rivers on rafts and... Uh, uh, not cover, from Kuroto. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is hiking. Hiking, okay. And there's, uh, it's actually a, not swamp, but uh, uh, sometimes it's pretty dry. You can actually walk to the cabin in the summer on tennis shoes. Yeah. But if there's a lot of rain, it's wet. Pretty wet. But it's a unique landscape. You don't see that anymore, wetland like this. Yeah. You know, and it is, people really enjoy it. And the terrain for cross-country skiing is uh, perfect. Yeah, that's great. And in the, in the summers, then, you would uh, guide rivers. You would uh, and take then, people out on the rafts, yeah? And then, of uh, course, uh, people want to uh, not only go to one spot, they like to go uh, river, river trips. Yeah. And uh, I had kayaked for many, many years. I built my own, I got molds from a couple of outfits and made my own kayaks. And uh, I started out on the Noatak River uh-huh. with uh, groups. Unfortunately, people, even if they came or they had paddled, for some reason or another, they are very, very dependent on somebody. In other words, say we need a double boat actually, in most cases. Yeah. It didn't quite work out. So uh, I switched to rafting then. Okay. And uh, a big raft, uh, you can have six people and one guide. And uh, they also paddle, they all have a paddle, but uh, basically uh, they can get someplace without getting too uh, uh, technical, you know, they they don't need any technique really, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, in a kayak, you you need to have a skill. Yeah, yeah. A raft, I know. Yeah, it's a little. It's always a little scary being a uh, guide um, with people in a boat on their own because yeah. you have no control over what they're doing. Exactly. You, don't, you don't know if they're paying attention yeah. or yeah. whether they're uh, yeah. doing what they're supposed to be doing. So yeah. Yeah. a lot easier in a raft. Yeah, it, uh, no, it, uh, but it uh, it worked out. Uh, sometimes I had six or seven groups at the same time. You know. <clears throat> what, um, Sepp, what, uh, this is Paul Tordak with Outdoor Explorer, where I say we're talking to Sepp, Sepp Weber. Uh, you said to do the no attack. Um, what are some of the other rivers that you would float? Well, basically all the rivers in the, on, the, uh, on the Arctic, uh, okay. on the no, uh, Brooks Range. Yeah. You know, either do- going north to the Arctic or going south uh, to uh, the uh, Koskokwim or whatever rivers uh, uh, train the southern part of the... Uh, but we also paddled uh, a lot, uh, basically in all the national parks. And uh, it... Uh, any Anything deep enough to float a boat, you know, will go. 
And how up there did you really talk about animals and bears, but people are always interested in how you manage the, um, the grizzly bears and the animals? Well, the problem is, of course, we have animals. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, it's a good thing, too. But up, yeah. the trouble is, uh, is the, now I'm talking mainly about the Germans. They are pretty particular. If you have an advertising and say, and you can see bears or this or this, and if you don't, they might give you a lot of trouble afterwards. Uh -huh. So uh, we don't we don't mention that anymore at all. We say there are bears, there are caribou, whatever where yeah. they go, you know. But as soon as you tell them you will see them, they expect them. Right. And uh, and again. Uh, the people, the Germans, the older ones, they are pretty particular. Now the younger ones, they're just like anybody else, you know, they're no problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but as far uh, as safety measures, did you take any, did you bring a gun? Well, did you have, what, what did you do safety-wise? Well, I have animals? some, uh, well, a, a couple of uh, executives from the United States, I mean, for 25 years, I had a group of executives for every year, but now, like the chairman of the uh, State Farm of, Ala of, of uh, State Farm. Oh, yeah. I mean, really big oh, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, have, they only have take a rafting, they push up their, their own tent, we do the cooking and so on. But they have two things. There should be no woman, no women on the trip, you know. Yeah. And at five o'clock we have, have have happy time. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice people. Yeah. Very nice people. Um, I want to go back to a question. So, like, when when you how what safety precautions did you take around bears? Well, if you make enough noise, they won't bother you. Yeah. I have, I have been traveling now sixty years in the bush. And I've never had trouble with a bear. Uh -huh. well, that's pretty good. But yeah. it can happen. So we, uh, like with the executives, we have one of the guides, they, they insist that one of the guides takes a gun along. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, we have never had to do anything like that. What other, we've got a few minutes left here, Sepp. Um, and this is, uh, again, Paul Torlap without Will Spore, and here was Sepp Weber. Uh, what advice do you have for uh, Alaskans that want to go out? A lot of people are discovering the outdoors um, with uh, the COVID, with the pandemic. Um, what advice do you have to people new to the outdoors? Um, and in Alaska, about Alaska too. Well, if you're not familiar with the out-of-doors in Alaska, it make, the first thing is learn something. <laughs> yeah, Make yeah. sure you know what you're doing. If not, take a guide or somebody who knows. You, you don't need a guide as such, but you need at least somebody who knows what, where he is and what he's doing. Yeah. But don't go out there hoping that you will adjust unless you are already an accomplished outdoors person. Yeah. So as a beginner, you should not venture into an area you are not familiar with. You, you don't know how to react, whatever, whatever comes up. Use, well, use your head. Yeah. That's just, uh, 
And if there are a lot of information, there are a lot of books. You can see movies, you can, uh, you can start an easy trip. You don't need to go. You can start in the back hills here from uh, the uh, Chugach, you know. Yeah. But don't go out like, uh, I, you know, I've run into people, they came down, uh, was the, some of the rivers uh, uh, towards uh, the south side of, uh, they got in there, you get, you can hire an airplane, they fly you in there and then they drop you off, but then you are by on your own. Yeah. And uh, we ran into some, they really didn't quite know even how to make a fire. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it, uh, so know what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, don't, and the, the great part of Alaska Outdoor is that even the exploring is already exciting. Yeah. It's, a, it's an, an exciting adventure, can be, you know. Yeah. So, but use your head and make sure you know something or you learn before you go. Right. Don't don't try to learn on a big trip, on a big trip, you know. Yeah. <coughs> Nowadays, of course, uh, everybody has a smartphone. They can, they, they, uh, we get a lot of people at Crota, like they come in and they already have the the, the rescue uh, yeah. deal, uh, what they call it. Uh, yeah, the in reach or the spot. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a, that's a great advice, Sepp. Um, we've been sitting here with Sepp Weber. Uh, thank you for being on the show with us uh, today, Sepp. How are my pleasure. Yep, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you out on the trails. That's right. <laughs> thanks for listening, and to Sepp Weber for joining us. Finally, thanks to our producer, Airport. This is your host, Paul Tordot, and from all the hosts at Outdoor Explorer, be active, live long, and we'll see you outside. Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, the man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.